Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25. Here's to the winning combination for 2023, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, while supplies last. You're listening to an L.A. Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit lakings.com slash podcast. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the L.A. Kings. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. This is All the Kings Men. My name is Jesse Cohen. I think I did that in the opposite order, Zach. Uh, (laughs) Joining me late, late Sunday night, Zach Dooley. How are you doing tonight, Zach? Jesse, doing great. You're excused from all procedural (laughs) mistakes at 9.53 p.m. on Sunday evening. So ordinarily, I would have recorded a solo intro to the episode that you are about to hear. Um, However, um, Zach and I are both aware and have kept in touch uh, all day, as I'm sure many of you listening have to people that you know that care about the Kings. We are aware of the speculation swirling around the Kings and potential moves they would make. Um, Zach, one of the reasons when you and I sat down to sort out the scheduling of our episodes was primarily, I think, based on what happened last season and the season before, we understood that there was a possibility that a number of moves might happen between the end of the season and the draft. 100%, right? It's that time of the year. Um, The Kings are far from the only team that does have that speculation going Mm -hmm. right now on the twitter.com um so there's there's a lot going on right it's it's a few days out from the draft um prospects and potential draft picks are becoming more and more targeted towards certain spots those picks then become looked at a little bit differently because it's not just a draft pick it's oh here's a name that we can put to this draft pick so obviously around this time of the year the rumor mill is always going to heat up um and whether any of those rumors develop or not the la kings did make one trade it doesn't pertain to the 23 draft but it does pertain to what you said um the kings made a move with a player whose name was certainly on that block mm-hmm. heading into the offseason just because of the position that he played the contract that he has and that's sean Dursey. yeah and before we dive into the Dursey thing i just want to say we are we are being deliberately cagey about the rumors because as of right now they are simply that Right. And everyone is entitled to their mm-hmm. opinion about whether or not they will or should happen. If anything happens, we will immediately react to it. But yes, to your point, we are here right now to record this to talk about the Sean Dersey trade, because that is a trade that did happen. And listen, you and I both like Sean Dersey a great deal personally. I, I want to like get that out of the way at the top. I really like Sean sure. Jersey and I really like what he did for the Kings while he was on the Kings. Totally agreed. Uh, both personally and professionally mm-hmm. um, liked him. A very, very talented player, a guy that, you know, I was able to work with from his first pro game in 2019 at Toyota arena in Ontario through his last game with the Kings, which would have been game six um, against the Oilers, a fantastic person. Um, guy who always had time for someone looking for some quotes for a story or just a conversation um and a guy who developed into a very talented player on the ice so i think you and i from that standpoint both you know you disappointed to see a a person like that go even if we can understand why this is a trade that can benefit the kings yeah and i i do believe it is a trade that will benefit the kings um there's a there are a number of items on my desk where you and I sit at work. Uh, for those who don't know, Zach and I sit directly next to one another, at our desks anyway, when we're at them. Um, and I have a little, I don't know, shrine might be too strong a word for it, but I have a little a little tidbit on my desk for Sean Dersey, uh, and I plan on keeping that. But, you know, Sean Walker was asked twice from what I guess it was the trade deadline. And then again at the exit interviews, 
Sean Walker was asked about his awareness of the possibility that he may wind up being traded away from the Kings. I always assumed, uh, you know, sadly, that Sean Dursey was just behind mm -hmm. Sean Walker um, in in the order of players that would inevitably be moved. I mean, I full disclosure, I fully expected it to happen last offseason. Um, it didn't. It happened this offseason. And the return, you know, I think I said on Twitter, um, again, stating that I like Sean Dursey as a person and a player, but the Kings needed cap space. They need a roster space for Spence or Clark. Um, and they would like to acquire, I won't say they need, but they obviously would like to acquire draft picks. And what they got in this trade was Sean Dursey's cap hit off the books, a roster spot for Spence and Clark to fight over, I suppose. Not fight over, but compete for. And they got a second round draft pick in next year's draft. I, I don't I don't see how this isn't I used the word perfect on Twitter. Maybe it's not perfect, but I don't see how this isn't an ideal trade for where the Kings are at the time they made it. Look, at the end of the day, right now, the Kings have to maximize every dollar that they have. And this isn't a $4 million saving move. It's probably about a $900,000 saving move, but that's yeah. a player on the team, right? Because you have your top four is solidified after Gavrikov resigned. You have a guy in Dursey who can play both sides of the ice, but when your top four is solidified, he's playing on the third pair. He shoots right. He's probably better slotted for the right side. But the deepest portion of the NHL-ready prospect pool is right-hand shooting defensemen. You have Jordan Spence. You have Brent Clark, who are either ready to play in the NHL, or at the very least, they deserve the chance to prove that they're ready to play in the NHL. And both of them will do so at a cap of less than $900,000. Sean Dersey, I believe, was 1.75, and he'd be due a raise come next offseason. So the pieces somewhere had to shift. Um, this wasn't inevitable, but certainly a guy who you could say, yeah, I could really see why this guy would be moved, and I could see why a team like Arizona would be like, for one of our 1 billion second-round picks, yeah, I want to bring this guy in because he's young, exciting, moves the puck really well, contributes on the power play. So hopefully it's a win-win, right? Hopefully it's Sean Dersey gets a better opportunity higher in the lineup. Arizona gets a good player and a good person who finds hopefully a good home there. I know the situation's really rough, but hopefully it's a good fit for him. And the Kings in an ideal world can get similar output from a player who makes less, which frees up money to be used somewhere else. Yeah. There are two things that made me think that this move was likely to happen over the past year or so one was Arizona moving to Mullet arena and one was the Kings acquiring, uh, Vladislav Gavrikov almost called him Vladimir. Yeah. Um, Gavrikov and Roy and Dowdy and Anderson are not exactly Niedermeyer, Pronger and Boschaman on the ducks in 2007, but it's a situation where those two pairs are incredibly effective and yeah. will, will play the bulk of the minutes. So the Kings third pair now it, it is as simple as Spence and Clark will make combined less than Sean Dursey would by himself. Yep. And if you believe that both of those players have an opportunity to be better than Sean Dursey, which I think most people do, I certainly do, no disrespect to Sean Dursey, that is simply how high I believe the ceiling of those two players is. To your point, yeah, they deserve to have an opportunity to fight for a roster spot. And the Kings present identity is Anderson, Dowdy, Gavrik, Roy, and they mm -hmm. hope very much that the future identity, future identity will begin to be defined at least partially by the development of those two young players. The mullet arena part of it is, and this is why I thought that this move would happen last year. Arizona <laughs> needs NHL players who make money on their roster because they're not getting high profile free agents. Um, and they're not, their draft picks are not going to enter the league making a lot of money, right? Even if even if every sure. player they draft out of those four billion second round draft picks, um, even if they all come in and turn immediately into NHL All Stars, they're still on entry level contracts. So, right, there still is a salary floor. Arizona still needs to reach it. And if I was a player on Arizona anywhere near the end of my term, I would let my representation <laughs> inform Arizona that I was planning on departing. Um, so I just thought, yeah, Arizona has to be in the market for guys that can play and make money. So 
that's where we are. Yes, we're going to. I think they're hitting a sweet spot too because you have a guy who is cost controlled yep. and team controlled, but isn't on an entry level deal, right? He's right. like in that middle sweet spot where can't leave in a year for free. Right. Is a good player. Mm-hmm. Cost what is a good return, but not a return that they will think twice about because they have a billion second round picks. Right. And also, though, is a guy who makes almost two million and Fills probably a higher role in the lineup than two million buys, but does count two million towards the cap, not eight hundred thousand. And when he's up as a free agent this offseason, restricted, likely makes more, and that does help a team reach the floor with a good young player, not a one-year signed free agent over market value to just fill a spot. And I will. Add, ordinarily, obviously, we wouldn't be talking this much about a departing player in a trade, but this is one of those trades where the Kings, you know, you and I can't talk about the value, you know, what kind of player the second round pick in 2024 is. There's nobody we can go right. and talk to about that. When he cracks the roster in 2029, <laughs> we'll revisit right. this exactly. conversation. Right. Um, however, last year, the 2021-22 season, I was fond of saying that one of the biggest reasons the Kings made the playoffs was quote unquote the power of friendship and Sean Dersey that was code a lot of the time for just the kind of play that Sean Dersey brought and you know the Gavrikov signing I think maybe makes this trade this is pure speculation on my part maybe makes this trade a little bit more palatable because Gavrikov, sure, Gavrikov's personality goes a long mm-hmm. way, I believe, towards replacing what the Kings will lose in the locker room from Sean Dersey. Not that that's, that is justification, yeah. but... I mean, he, he was a well-liked dude, right? From the second yep. he came in, Vladislav Gavrikov was. So that helps. It helps on both fronts, right? You don't want to... Yep. He was a good fit on the ice, and he made the Kings better in that spot in the lineup than before. Also seemed to be a guy who teammates gravitated to like immediately mm-hmm. which does help yeah and and it should help sean Dersey's career in arizona right he goes into a place desperate for culture and he will come in and light up that room with his personality the way he did for the Kings. so on the whole i think everybody that i've spoken to is well that i've spoken to that works for the team <laughs> um is high on the trade i've seen a few people who are very upset about it that's inevitable Sure. Um, and uh, this episode will post at 5 a.m. And if anything happens between now, 5 a.m. or even after 5 a.m., uh, obviously, Zach and I will hop back on and we'll start talking to people and we'll have more episodes coming out for you. Otherwise, I think we will not have an episode on Thursday because the draft is happening Thursday morning and we will wait to find out what happens between now and the draft. So if something happens between now and then, we will talk about it. And if nothing happens between now and then, you will hear from us on Friday morning after the draft. Talking about some 2023 draft selections. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. Yep. Thanks for helping on with me real quick, Zach. Thanks for having me. And uh hope you guys enjoy the uh, the rest of the episode. All right. If you are listening to this, it means that by Monday morning at 5 a.m., there have been no groundbreaking trades involving the LA Kings. Joining me today, Jack Jablonski. How are you doing today, Jack? I'm doing well, Jesse. Good to be on. And featuring Zach Dooley. How are you doing today, Zach? Not great because there have been no groundbreaking <laughs> trades pertaining to the LA Kings. So tonight is the awards uh, ceremony, the day you're listening to this, if you're listening to it on Monday. And every year the awards come around, and every year I pitch the same ideas. I'm going to pitch it again here. I believe that a few changes should be made to the way the NHL runs its awards. And I, as I introduced to Zach recently, Jack, I'm an opinionated guy, but there are a bunch of opinions I have that I don't care about. And this is one of them. I think this is how it should be done. I don't actually spend a lot of time upset about this or worried about it. I just think... A rarity. Yeah, as long as you're going to do something, this is how it's going to be done. So we're going to run through my plan first. Then we're going to introduce some new awards that I think should exist. Then we're going to go around and each of us say who we would have picked for those awards. First things first, Zach, as it is now, all the media writers submit their ballots at the end of the year, and we are given a list of three finalists until the awards show where they announce a winner. But the reality is 
whoever it is that tallies the votes knows who won. And then they pick the first and second runner-ups and call them finalists. But we know one of those three people has won. Right. One of those three people has finished second. And one of those three people has finished third. I don't think that's how it should be done, Jack. I think that each division should submit a ballot to their players. And the players should anonymously vote on the bulk of the awards. Not all of them. Can I chime in here? Absolutely. Because this is sort of how the AHL does its awards. Really? So the AHL awards is one-third player ballot, mm-hmm. one-third coaches ballot, one-third media ballot. So this is a little different. And and the idea for this actually came up from learning about how the Academy Awards are handed out. So in the Academy Awards, the actors vote for actors, the directors vote for directors, mm-hmm. the cinematographers vote for cinematographers and then once those subcommittees or subcategories have picked their nominees then it's handed off to the academy as a voting body to decide so for example toughest defenseman if you if like let's just take the norris trophy i would go to all the players in the pacific division forwards well not skaters and i would say you can't vote for anybody on your team but vote for the toughest defenseman in the Pacific Division, the teams that they play against the most, you would get four. You would get four actual finalists, yeah. and then you would hand it over to the entire to the media and say, "Okay, the Pacific Division says it's Eric Carlson. The Metropolitan Division says it's Adam Fox. The Central Division says it's you know whoever." And then let the media decide of those four finalists, and you won't have you know players on different teams splitting votes. You won't have you know, the concern about bias because, yeah, the media on the East Coast are more familiar with the East Coast players, but they'll have two players from the Western Conference that they'll have to choose from. So that's my proposition. Again, I'm not losing any sleep over the fact that it's not done this way. I just think that's how it should be done. I don't hate it. Um, I think where you run into a challenge is like, what if the two best defensemen in the league are in the same division? Yeah. That's when you get a a tough one or, you know, if... Those situations, Mm -hmm. that's loud. Very loud. I won't Uh, do that again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But that, that, I like the process. I don't have, Mm -hmm. I don't have any issue with that. I don't know. Jabs, what do you think? No, I'm on board with it. I don't think it, again, like for anyone who listens to this, you come up with some obscure takes. This is, (laughs) this is pretty realistic in terms of something that could make sense. And, um, no, Zach brings up, I guess, the only thing on top of my head that would be, a, a red flag of, of terms of running into any issues, but for the most part, yeah, it, it seems actually not too flawed. Thank you. I'll take it. <laughs> play this. Um, play the sound. Yeah, yeah, I'll come king, up with something. King of the week, <laughs> um, <laughs> Jesse Cohen and for his awards this revision. This isn't a perfect example of what you're talking about, but let's just take if we're are fighting about MVP, and you wanted to say, well, is it Drysaitel and McDavid? Mm-hmm. In a national vote where everybody just votes, theoretically, those guys could split. In this scenario, you go, no. This is... Oh, one hitch. For MVP, every team... It would be done more like the Masterton. Okay. Every team would submit their own MVP. But it would be up to each team. So if, for some reason... Who is the team? The players. Okay. So, And I suppose you could include the coaching staff if you want. But... But if uh, the Edmonton Oilers, gets, for whatever reason, dicey. I, yeah. I, I grant you that we'd have to we'd have to internal beef. On that one. You don't want that, Jesse. <laughs> but if for some reason the Edmonton Oilers decided that their nominee for MVP wasn't Connor McDavid, well, okay, who are we to argue? Like, I'm not. You that, know. The only part of that that makes sense is the last sentence. Who, who are, are we, we to argue? argue? Yeah, everything else there's it's a little See, too. Now, now you lost me for what yeah. Jab said, which is that. <laughs> When you have two absolute superstars, mm-hmm. you're dissing one of them. Like yeah, you're, you're dissing you're your not teammate. Our guy. Yeah, but if it otherwise, was up to the now team. you could just let the the media siphon off yeah. votes. But players this don't, way you're, players this don't way care you're what the saying, media thinks. Yeah. They much more care. All right, well, about I, I need to go back to the lab to work on the MVP because what you the whole first part was good because what you can't do is let the other seven teams in a division. Decide like how would how would the LA Kings vote on who is the MVP of the Pacific Division? Like I don't know. Right. 
it's I mean, in this case, it's Connor McDavid. It's convenient because he's got 30 more points than the next yeah. closest guy. So you're like, all right. Like in a year when him. they both have 50 goals and 125 points, Connor and Leon. The year that know, Kopitar should have won the MVP. Right. We all know that he should have because we have, we're Kings fans. We have our arguments. But if you're a member of the Vancouver Canucks, how, yeah. how are you making the distinction between yeah. mm-hmm. Taylor Hall and Andre Kopitar? Like, yeah. You're not. Yeah. Yeah. So I need to go back in the lab for that one, but whatever. You got some legs, I think. Now, the next issue was the number of awards. And this one actually comes from watching all of this. All of these thoughts and and arguments are based off of other awards shows. Of course. Um, So this one comes from the difference between the Grammys and like the Academy Awards and the Golden and the Golden Globes and stuff like that. Um, because famously the Golden Globes do weird categories like musical or comedy. Mm-hmm. And then movies like The Martian show up in the comedy category. And then everyone's fighting over whether or not The Martian is a comedy. I think it is, but I understand why people don't. Anyway, uh, the solution to me is what the Grammys does, which is just subdivide their awards into increasingly obscure and Specific, meaningless categories. Yeah. Yeah. But because it's hockey, we're not going to go wild. And so here's... The, the rundown of, of awards that I came up with. Best line. Because it's very easy to pick point, to pinpoint one guy and be like, okay, Connor McDavid. Yeah. Scores the most points. How impressive. But you can see a line like Deneau, Moore, and Arvidsson for that half a season run. Or this year, Byfield, Kopitar, and Kempe. Right? Like, I didn't choose them as the best line, but I found myself thinking about it. Because mm-hmm. those three guys combine. Really interestingly, the best D pair, same thing. One defenseman can be exceptional, but a pair of players can have a much larger impact. For example, Carlson will probably win the Norris for having over 100 points. Mm-hmm. But I'd rather have Doughty and Anderson as a pair than Carlson and whomever. Can you name another Sharks defenseman? Mark Andre Vlasic. <laughs> Edward. Mark Edward right. Vlasic. Name one more. Uh, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I stared at all of them. If you said a name, I'd be like, oh, yeah, that guy. Uh, uh, Ferrero. Yeah, Ferrero. I believe his partner was Jacob Megna. Yeah, Megna. That's um, right. And that what pair, a, for the record, had duo. outstanding metrics. Yeah, they were actually great. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe I wouldn't say. But anyway, the point is pairs um, can be really impressive. Best power play player. Best penalty kill player. And I think those speak for themselves. There are some teams more the power play than the penalty kill. But a player like McDavid who garners an unbelievable amount of points on the power play is just yeah unbelievable like that's it he's he's on he's on virtually unstoppable on the power play and he's so good at it that that becomes an asset for the team whereas there are other players who I don't can't remember what the exact breakdown between Matthew Kachuk and Connor McDavid is but Matthew Kachuk significantly fewer points on the power play anyway uh, they'll speak for themselves. Then it comes to defense. Best, and I've broken it into three categories. Defensive defenseman, offensive offensive defenseman, and all-around D. And this is a conversation that gets brought up every year when Eric Carlson wins it. Yeah. And everybody just goes, okay. He scores more points than any other defenseman, but he doesn't actually. He's a fourth forward, yeah. Yeah, he doesn't play defense in the traditional sense. And you can argue that tradition and shouldn't factor into it, but nonetheless... If you've got a guy who doesn't kill penalties and is rarely able to shut down other teams' scoring opportunities in high. What's the word I'm looking for? High danger chances. Well, high pressure situations. Mm-hmm. So end, end of yeah. a game, down by on the one. Ice, up a goal with a minute or, left type you know, or so everybody always says like, well, you know, part of the reason Carlson's plus minus was so huge was because he was always on the ice at the end of the game with the empty net. Mm-hmm. And you're like, all right, but he's still was on the ice. His team was still giving up those empty net goals. It wasn't like he was out there scoring goals with the goalie pulled for the He probably should have been playing goal in those situations. Tending tending the net one one hand. If he was so good at defense, maybe they would have been scoring goals. I don't know. Is this turned into a Jesse's vendetta against Eric Carlson? That is the real reason for all of this, is to take take shine away from Alex Ovechkin, Connor McDavid, and Eric Carlson. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's it. Um, best defensive forward. This exists, but it exists in a way that never really sat right with me. Now it has sort of become the player who scores the most points with a high plus minus. 
But I want to know who the guys that actually are out there <laughs> playing defense uh, from the forward position. So I think this one will yield the most controversy. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have wildly discussion, uh, debate, yeah. et cetera. MVP, you know, and then the NHL votes for their most outstanding player. We don't have a say in that. That's uh, no change to that one. Coach of the year, GM of the year, the lady being the Vesna. And this actually came out of conversations about Jonathan Quick and his games played when he got to 700 games. And it was discussed as if he had reached 1,000 games played as a skater. And I was like, oh, give him a silver stick, da-da-da. And Zach, I don't remember when we got into the conversation, but the idea was like, well, okay, how many games did he play dressed as the backup right, right. <laughs> that don't get counted in his yep. games played tally? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, now that people are saying... You it wasn't enough to get him to 1,000. Probably not. Because he, he was played, hurt right. a lot. Yeah. yeah. And he played the not bulk lot, of the starts. That was, yeah, yeah exactly, and he didn't back yeah. up yeah. much, especially in the early era when right, the exactly. starting goalie played, he played 60, 72 70 games. Played exactly, 72 yeah. Games. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But the question then became, okay, so what... So having a good backup is obviously an important thing. So let's name the best backup. And I think I set a limit at 30 games for that. Correct. I think you lowered it to 25. All right. Uh, well, Jack might have been You changed 30. it several times. I did. <laughs> I bounced around. <laughs> um, then best rookie, which is one we Maybe have. it was 30. I don't remember. Um, and then this one is just stolen straight from the NBA because I find it such a fascinating concept. And that's most improved. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah. So... Those are the new awards. That's how I think they should be awarded. And now we're just going to go through and fight with each other. Love it. That makes for a good podcast. So which which of you guys wants to start with your best line? Zach. <laughs> All right. Oh, thanks. Um, my best line is from the Dallas Stars. Mm-hmm. Pavelski hints Robertson. Um, strong numbers, strong metrics. If you average out their three totals, you have a player that scored 37 goals and 87 points. That's on average mm-hmm. between the three of them. Each of them played at least 70 games. Um, the metrics were very solid, just under 60% in terms of scoring chances controlled, just over 60% in high danger chances. Um, Money Puck said they played the most minutes together of any line. Um, so they played together a lot. They were really, really good. And the metrics supported the production. Jack, what did you have for that one? In my response rebuttal uh there's nothing you can say against that in terms of what he provided um but i went with the best line on the best team and that was patrice bergeron brad marchand and posternock obviously you've got posternock who had over 100 points both marchand and bergeron did miss time as duly pointed out in terms of consistency and and health in the dallas aspect but you've got guys that are plus 34 plus 35 plus 37 um two of those i guess you could probably add another five to 10 on with the games they missed if they played a full season. Um, But that was where I went. I thought, you know, might as well go with the best line on the best team in NHL history. I think it's pretty hard to argue that thought process of going for the best on the best team. I certainly was tempted on a couple of them. I also went with the, the line from Dallas and I found myself bouncing around a bunch of different thought processes. One of them was, well, how many minutes do they play? And, you know, they played the most. Then it was like, well, what is the goals for person? My first thought was like, well, what are the results? And the Dallas line scored the most amount of goals. Like it's 50, 52. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I thought, well, okay, but goals percent. I think the Martin Nook stall and fast line on Carolina had a better goals for percent, but they scored like nothing. Yeah. Yeah. They they only were scored on about the same, but didn't score as many. Ultimately, what it came down to for me was just they scored 52 goals as a line. Mm-hmm. And all the reasons that you gave Zach were were equally valid. Um, and the fact that Dallas wasn't as defensively sound as some other teams also kind of yeah. played a role for me. But I, I'm not going to lie, the Kopitar, Byfield, and Kempe line, <laughs> just because I'm a Kings fan, definitely, uh, it was better than I thought. I'm not going to say I ever seriously considered. Numbers um, were quite good, but they only played half the year. Yeah. It's less than 500. And it's also, I mean, I, I can't argue with Jack's pick there either. It's... Yeah. So uh, then that brings us to the best D pair. So uh, Jack, we'll start with you this time. Yeah. So this was a funky one. I decided to go mm-hmm. with uh, Jacob Slavin and Brent Burns. Mm-hmm. So what I came away with was you look at a team who doesn't score a ton of goals, but still, um, you know, was extremely successful. They go plus 18 and plus 19. Uh 
Slavin has 27 points. Burns has 61. Um, among D pairs that played 1,000 minutes together at 5-on-5, five five, they led the NHL in Corsi with a 61%, which was 3.5 points better than the next uh, D pair, which was actually, ironically, their second D pair um, in Carolina. So that's where I went. Um, again, you know, you look at a successful team and, you know, in terms of what they provided and how much they mattered to that team, I took that a little bit into consideration as well. And, and that's where I landed. Zach, I had the exact same pair for pretty much the exact same reasons. You go a little deeper than Corsi scoring chances, high danger chances, also the best in the league. Um, Mm -hmm. so they were across the board really, really good. I had, was between them and one other pair that I'll say after Jesse goes, and so I don't steal any thunder. I went with this pair because they played a lot more together than the other pair that I considered. So yeah, I also I, went with Slavin and yeah, Burns. Yeah. <laughs> guess it wasn't a three for three. <laughs> yeah. And my thought process was I started just with the results, goals against. Mm-hmm. They're incredibly low. Right. But not the lowest. Mm-hmm. But then I thought, well, goaltending is going to play a role in goals against. So just five, just looking at five on five, I looked at expected goals against, Corsi against, you know, the whole thing. And they led every category by a noticeable margin mm-hmm. in all of those categories. So then I thought, aha, regardless of what the goaltending impact is, they are the pair that is out there for the fewest opportunities against. And that's ultimately what we're judging. So, uh, yeah, a consensus on that. What was your second pair that you were? Uh, Taze McCarr. Oh, oh okay. wow. That's exactly what I had as well. Yeah. But they played about 300 plus fewer minutes. Right. Um, yeah. Because of injury. Um, but their yeah. numbers were also quite good. I think Yossi and, uh, and, uh, I'm blanking on the other. Was it Eckholm at the time? No. Uh, now I can't even pull them up and find them. Um, Fabro, McDonough. I don't. I'm not going to remember, yeah. but. Yossi and anyone is probably a pretty good pair. It, yeah. It was, and it was just a sort of simple thing of, of it was either goals percentage or or and now i'm just scrolling through and i can't even find them so i obviously didn't care that much mm-hmm. uh, all right anyway uh moving on to uh the best power play player i think we're all going to just agree on this one it's yeah it's Connor mcdavid yeah agreed uh, the yeah. one the one thing that i wasn't as sold on it as both of you seemed because i put a close second of dry solely because he had 11 more power play goals mm-hmm. and when you think of power play you think of goals so yeah, that was the one thing that held me up a little bit, but I still put McDavid given the the difference in points. Trivia question for the group: Who McDavid? His power play point total this season has only been bested in NHL history by one other player. Can you name that player? He did it, I believe, three times. I'm guessing it's not Wayne Gretzky. It's not Wayne Mario. It's Mario. Okay, he did it yeah. three times. Otherwise, McDavid had the highest point total on the power play in NHL history. And mm-hmm. Leon was up there, too. He was very high. I think what it came down to for me, Jack, was just 71 points. Yeah. On the power. It's absurd. It's right? ridiculous. That, yeah. without any yeah. even strength contribution, would still have, like, that, almost... That's still, yeah, scoring. that still makes you about <laughs> 7 mil or 8 mil yeah. a year. Yeah. And I'm not... This might be a controversial statement. I Leon Dreisaitl is an incredible hockey player. Yeah. I don't know that he's as good as he is away from McDavid. I have all the faith in the world that McDavid is still the best player in the league without Leon Dreisaitl. It's I, I believe it's a more true statement, but I don't think there's that much of a drop-off. And, and Well, to be clear, I'm not saying I think Dreisaitl wouldn't be. I'm just saying I'm not sure. I'm looking at a dude who scored like three goals against the Kings in six games playing on the fourth line. And saying, well, I'm not I saying think he Leon would be. be pretty darn good playing with. Anybody. I'm just saying I'm not. Yeah. I'm not certain. Whereas when I watch Connor McDavid, I'm like, I am certain he could play with two of us yeah. and still have. As points. as Jim said, if you could take somebody, you know, you could take an alien, plop him down in an arena, never watched hockey in his life, and would watch yeah. 97 and be like, aha, that guy, that is that uh-huh. guy. Uh, So best penalty kill player. I'd be very curious to see if we all came to the same conclusion on this one. Let's start with you, Zach. <laughs> Or do you I, want me to start this one? I know that none of you came to the conclusion I came to because oh, okay. I went wildly off the board. Oh, all right. Okay. And I think, I mean, I feel like I did too, but I, I keep going. It would actually be funny if we all did. Yeah. <laughs> so I've used, they've played a lot together and whatnot before, uh-huh. and I'm going to go a little bit off the board because this guy missed some time due to injury. Okay. I'm going to rattle off the stats because you're going to laugh at the name. Um, played on the NHL's best PK unit, mm-hmm. top 10 in the NHL in shorthanded time on ice per game. 
third in the NHL in goals against per 60 and top 10 in expected goals against per 60. So top 10 in both categories. And the player is former LA Kings defenseman Derek Forbert. Wow. Wow. That is off the board. <laughs> that is uh, not where I, I went. I believe he was the only player in the top 10 in both expected and actual goals R- against. Run those stats by us again real quick. Top 10 in the NHL in shorthanded time on ice per game. Uh-huh. Third in goals against per 60 on the PK. Top 10 in expected goals against per 60 on the PK. Playing on the NHL's best penalty killing unit. Okay. And I believe he was the only player in the top 10 in both goals against and expected goals against per 60. And I think he missed a bunch of games, um, which thought about other guys. But I said I'd like to give Derek Forward a shout out because that's pretty good. Fair enough. Fair enough. Jack? Uh, I'm going to go to you. I, I have one more stat that I'm looking up. All right. So, I unfortunately warned Zach about this. I went first because I did my research yeah. before the podcast, uh, not during it. Jack, I warned Zach about this earlier. I didn't write down why I <laughs> went with the guys I went with. Oh, this is the one? So yeah. <laughs> this is the one where I've got to sort You guys of, are a mess. I have to sort of stare at the um, stat sheets and hope that the story pulls it off. I went with Brent Burns. And it was a difficult pull because Calgary and Carolina were incredible defensively. And so isolating one player from any of those rosters for recognition. Yeah, it's hard. It was. Um, How many many tops of the list was Jaden Chatfield on? Like every friggin' one he was there. (laughs) Yeah, it was very very annoying. I'm not going to lie. But Brent Burns, I want to say the argument that I wound up uh, choosing – and this is probably not true, (laughs) Uh, was it some combination of shot attempts against, goals against, minutes played, high danger chances against, expected goals against, et cetera, probably put him nearer to the top of most of those categories, even though now that I'm looking at all of those, he is not near any of them, (laughs) which is upsetting. I don't know if – I can wait till after Jabs goes too, but I don't know if this is a rebuttal. Uh Uh-huh. I find that when I look at those numbers in terms of special teams, I have no idea how to apply them. Sure. Is having a low shots shot attempts against good? Yeah. Or is one goes in the net, yeah. You oh, know, might might uh, you might be you be fine with conceding a lot of Corsi from the outside. You know, yeah. like I thought about it like that and like I didn't use those because I didn't know like what was good and what was bad. Whereas at five on five, it's obvious. Right. Penalty kill. I'm like, you know, maybe that's not a bad thing, right? Like maybe. Mm-hmm. So I looked strictly at goals against. And I did look at expected goals against, which is a summation of everything. Yeah. But um, I didn't know how to apply them, which I found like interesting on the PK. I mean, so, my, so go ahead, Jack. Sorry. So I, I took a, a slightly different angle because I went with a forward. Um, I went Ooh, with okay. a forward because I value faceoffs so much in uh in the penalty kill obviously point. you know it when the face off you likely kill at least you know 20 seconds at the least um so in jesse's uh direction i also went with carolina and i went with jordan stall so stall had the third most face off wins but had the best face off percentage among the top 7 people in um in the face off category in terms of wins so I, I value that. He has a high list on block shots among forwards that ranks third. He has the third most takeaways. Um, so there's a number of different directions that I felt that he was kind of that all-around guy um, in that category. It's a great pick. I really wish now I had written down why I chose <laughs> <laughs> But I didn't. Apologies, everybody. Um, all right. So then that brings us to best defensive defenseman. And I leave it up to either of you how you want to define uh, it. Yeah. Define that, yeah. So, Jack, why don't we start with you on that one? Uh, I went with former Los Angeles King Alec Martinez. Okay. Um, he led the NHL in shots blocked by 47. Um, I think as a group and as a fan base, we know how valuable he is on both ends of the ice, specifically on the offensive ice in the uh, in the in the playoffs. But defensively, um, just eats pucks. You know, we know how valuable it is pucks out um i didn't put too much more thought into it other than some of these stats that i mentioned but um that was my guy uh, i took a pick from jack jablonski country and went with jared spurgeon let's go um using the same criteria i used on the pk which is he is the only player in the top 10 in the nhl in actual and expected goals against per 60 amongst defensemen 
second in high danger chances against per 60. And I think this is actually important. Started below 50% of his shifts in the ozone and also led Minnesota defensemen in shorthanded time on ice, which I believe is essential to be nominated for a defensive X award. So I went with Jared Spurgeon, the ever underrated Minnesota defenseman. Now seems as good a time as any to say that this exercise is exactly why I think, or not exactly, it is a huge part of why I think the players should be nominating these categories anyway, Mm -hmm. because I refuse to believe. I know how much time I spend watching the Kings. I know how much time I spend living my life, having friends. I don't have kids or a partner, but I can only imagine that that would be an even larger chunk of my time pulled away from being able to watch the other 31 teams in the National Hockey League. I refuse to believe that Greg Wyshynski or Ray Ferraro or Dennis Bernstein watch enough of every team to say definitively that Jared Spurgeon is better than Drew Doughty or vice versa. Like, I, I certainly don't. Yeah. I, so all we're doing is we're, we're sort of combing the available amount of information to make our arguments. But at the end of the day, I have no, no idea. Um, having said that, it's Mackenzie Weger. <laughs> I would have bet my entire bank account that you would have picked Mackenzie Weger. Because you heard me screaming about it earlier this year. I think so, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Low Corsi against per 60, which I have been told by people whose opinions I trust about analytics that Corsi against per 60 is the sort of safest um, interpretation. But then shots against per 60, goals against per 60, you know, he's... Near the top of the list in all the categories you would care about on a team that performed very well defensively, which is hard to separate one player from a team yeah. whose identity is that thing. But I just I just felt like he was a perfect example of, of that mentality. So I went with Mackenzie Weger. Uh, offensive defenseman. Jesse? Is, that, is, that, is anybody not going with Eric Je- Carlson? Jesse, why don't you say it and explain? I'll say it's Eric Carlson. He scored an <laughs> unbelievable amount of points. Hey, and Eric Carlson. Let's be realistic here. It's it's Eric Carlson. Yeah? Yep. All right. Uh, all around, D, I was split on this one. So I'll just start off and see how you guys do it. Is this the Norris? Or yes. is this? Okay. Yeah. Um, I took the approach Jack did for the top line. And I just said, listen, Boston was incredible. And uh, pulling up the thing, Lindholm and, and Grelchik, is that how you pronounce his name? I think it's Grieslick. Grieslick. Um, I don't know how you determine which of them is better, but you t- toss a coin and it's one of them. Are they nominated? No, probably not. Oh. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> hey, well, well, uh, I know Carl. I know it's Carlson, Morrissey, and I forget the third. Uh, Fox, McCarr. No, that's is that from last year? That's last year. Okay. Um, but that, like I said, best team, the best two defensemen on the best team. I, I wouldn't have yeah. an argument either way. So, Zach? It's Eric Carlson. Okay. Um, he did something that no one's done in the last 30 years. It's Eric Carlson. I, uh, I second that. All right. Uh, according to this, it's Fox... Carlson and McCarr named 2023 Norris finalists. That's trash. Really? Yeah. That's that's a joke. Sorry, media. Controversial take. It is. Who's your pick then, Jack? Well, it's Carlson. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, so here we get to best defensive forward. Um, Jack, who's your best defensive forward? I don't think you're going to like it, but I chose Patrice Bergeron. I don't have a problem with that. Okay. I just I feel like you have a spite against him because he kind of takes the 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 uh, the, uh, the heat off of uh, Kopitar because they're you know obviously very identical in in terms of value and what they do to the organization and how they play. So um, I'm wrong in terms of you don't care about you're not mad at it. But yeah, I, I just went with Bergeron. I think um, you know in terms of what I some of the things I was looking at with uh, the penalty kill stuff. Uh, when I went to stall, Bergeron was kind of my number two in that category, um, as well as um, I don't have any of the fancy stats as, as Jesse, you um, define them uh, mm. on the top of my head. But um, uh, Bergeron was uh, an easy one for me, in my opinion. I had the same. Um, a lot of times I feel like NHL opinions are formed in an echo chamber. Yeah, but very much. If Patrice Bergeron is in an echo chamber, it's a very intelligent one because the stats do back up the he's the best defensive forward in the league 
a lot of the time. Um, the fancy stats, if you will, only player in the top five in the NHL in goals against and expected goals against plays in the top line, big PK guy led the league in faceoffs. Um, so this year, I think the stats back up what the echo chamber says. So I went way off the board on this one. Ooh, Derek forward off the board. Yeah. Okay. For way further off the board. Love it. Here we um, go. Because I didn't look for top six players necessarily. I looked for guys who I thought were exclusively playing defense. Like Mm -hmm. best defensive forward in my mind is the best forward for defensive purposes, not the best, not the most skilled forward. Anyway, I went with the, with the Radic Foxa. Fourth liner. And like Brent Burns did not write down my thought process. (laughs) So now I'm forced to stare at his stat line and try and come up with some explanation. Top, Near the top of the list has to be the 1.6 goals against per 60. There are nine guys or eight guys better than him. Um, Including so, Patrice Bergeron. Yes. Is it in goals against per 60? Yeah. Not according to this. I've got Felino, Noshek, Greer, Nosen, Stepan, Clutterbuck, Trent Frederick. You know what? I Walker. usually sorted by a certain time on ice. Which probably eliminated the guys you're looking at. I set 500 as the minimum. I think I usually went a little higher. Okay. Um, but also expected goals against per 60. Foxa is third at 2.06. Stepan and Archibald being the only ones above him. Um, I think I looked at goaltending as well to just say, like, for example, Derek Stepan plays for Carolina. Or not goaltending, but def- defend- the yeah. defensive acumen of the roster around him. So yep. if you look at a guy from... Boston or Carolina or Calgary, you go, okay, that entire team is playing a defensive oriented system. Yeah. It's really difficult to isolate one guy and say, he's the one playing well defensively. You know, anyway, I suspect that was my thought process. But like I said, I didn't write it down. Shame on me. Um, but you guys were wrong. It's Derek Foxa. Uh, MVP. You just called him Derek Foxy. You don't even know his name. I don't. How do you Radic. pronounce it? Radic. Radic. Sorry. <laughs> Derek. Derek. I'll tell you what, it's not <laughs> it's not Derek. Also, not Patrice Bergeron was on the ice for 18 goals against this year. Oof. 18. That's impressive. Uh yeah. the MVP is McDavid. Yeah, uh, yeah. obviously. Yeah. yeah. I don't I don't know that there's any way to argue that. I wish there was, but there isn't. Jack, any arguments there? No, not you can't make any. Yeah. Uh the NHLPA, we don't have a say in that because we don't. Um, and then that comes to coach of the year. And I don't know, this isn't covered in my original plan. So what to... stats are you looking up for goals against per 60? Cause Patrice Bergeron is far and away the league leader. Really? Yeah. Goals against per 60. What's Patrice Bergeron's goals against per 60? 1.22. Why is he not on my list? Are you not sorting by five on five? Regular season, even strength. Oh, okay. I do five on five. Oh, okay. I so chose even there's strength. the difference. Okay. Yeah. Um, Coach of the year, let's talk this one out for a second. Sure. You can't do, maybe you could, my plan for players in each division. But I don't, would the players, would we trust the players' opinion on opposing coaches? Jack, you do more coaching than Zach and I do. Repeat that part, sorry. So if we're trying to choose a coach of the year, and we want to use use my method of, of each division selecting their own finalist. Yes. Do we rely on the players' opinions? Like if we said to the players, you, can, you can't vote for your own coach, but you can vote for a coach of one of the other teams in your division. Do we trust players' evaluations of opposing coaches in that setting? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. In that case, Zach, who's your coach of the year? I put Jim Montgomery, coach of the best team. Sure. I think that was easy. I really wanted to pick Dave Haxtell because he took a team from worst to first, but it, it was just hard for me in this instance to argue with the, mm-hmm. the greatness that Boston's regular season was. Jack. Likewise, same exact uh, reasoning. So I went with Rod Brindamore. Um, and I think the reason I went with him over Montgomery was just, I think if you look at the performance of the two teams, Carolina put up more impressive numbers than Boston. Boston just succeeded more, but it wasn't by a wide margin over Carolina, Mm -hmm. but everything that you would, you know, without looking at the results, which is an insane statement, I realize. Um, Did we lose Jack for a second? I'm here. 
Oh, my Zoom just like cut out. Maybe that oh. was just mine. Oh, yeah. You're frozen on my screen. Okay. Sorry. Oh, yeah. No, you're oh, gone. He's doesn't gone. Matter. As long as you can hear. Yeah, it. I can yeah, still okay. hear. I just can't see. Um, if you looked at, you know, Corsi, goals, you know, expected, all that nonsense. Yeah. Carolina outperformed Boston. Boston actually performed better. And so I didn't have a reason for that. So I just thought, well, I'll go with Brenda Moore. I wouldn't. I certainly wouldn't cry about it if uh, if it went the other direction. GM of the year, Jack. Uh, in the um, same direction that that Dooley mentioned with Seattle, I went with Ron Francis. Nineteen win improvement, forty point jump from last year. They knock out the uh, the reigning Cup champs in the first round. Um, I think, in my opinion, I think it's a pretty clear cut um, choice. But I'll leave it to you two to disagree. Um, I'll go out of order here. I went with Waddell just because obviously I really respect what the hurricanes did yeah. this year. And I actually thought, I actually thought they were the quote unquote best team of the year. I thought they were the team that probably should have mm-hmm. it. Massive quotes should, but should have won. Um, so I, I picked Waddell. full disclosure for me on the actual awards. I only went off of the actual nominees and neither of your picks oh. were nominated <laughs> okay. for the award. So I went with Jim nil in Dallas. Uh, the nominees are nil Don Sweeney in Boston, Bill Zito in Florida. Uh-huh. And I thought Jim Nill was the obvious choice because he actually acquired all of the core pieces on that team, mm-hmm. whereas neither of the other guys did. Um, they both acquired superstar level players from the regimes before them. Um, both of your picks are great. Um, both did a tremendous job. I, I feel like Ron Francis should have been nominated. Yeah, um, yeah if, if, I, uh, if you want to go with your argument, I feel like... Uh, Ron Francis has brought in all those guys. 100% should have been <laughs> nominated. And I think Don Waddell could be nominated any year for the team yeah. he's built. Um, How is Bill Zito nominated? Traded for Matthew Kachuk, I guess. Which, be... with the knowledge of the playoffs, it, may, it yeah, looks way better than I it don't did. think playoffs are supposed to factor in, right? So they finished with 92 points. Of the choices, I thought Jim Nill was, yeah. was the best option. But from a regular season standpoint, Florida went from the President's Trophy winner to like barely making the playoffs. So yeah. the seven, 17th best team. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yes, they acquired Matthew Kachuk, but it cost them Mackenzie Weger and Jonathan Huberdeau, which. Mm-hmm. Jesse Cohen's not, best defense. That's right. <laughs> the Norris, that's right. And, you know, say what you want about Huberdeau, but last year didn't he have 118 points or something? Like, he had correct. a lot of points. Yeah. So, uh, anyway. Yeah. Dumb media. Uh, all right. Um, the Lady Bing, I feel exactly the same as I do about the NHL Best Player Award. Tanjay Kopitar. Zach thinks it's Tanjay Kopitar. Jack, you can think whatever you like. I actually think the referees should, should, be, should hand out this award. Uh, I also went with Kopi. Okay. I have no complaints with that, but I'd ask the refs and then they would say Kopitar would be fine. There you go. <laughs> um, Vezina, I'll start off with this one just because it's all Mark. Yep. I think it's Ilya Sorokin. Okay. Um, I look at the Vezina a little bit differently and I look at the Bruins did not have much of a drop-off between Olmark and Jeremy Swayman. That's fair. And the Islanders were a team that, in my opinion, were not as good as their record and were at their record and were in the mix strictly because of one player, and that was Ilya Sorokin. Um, his numbers were excellent. They were among the best in the league in every category and played behind, no disrespect to the Islanders, but a substantially worse team than the Bruins and then the other goaltenders who are in this conversation. So I went with Ilya Sorokin for the fact that I thought he was the most maybe impactful or valuable goalie to his team among those players at the top of the list. Jack, you went with with Olmark, right? I also went with Olmark, but I mean, everything that you say, Zach, I agree with. I just think, um, I think that Olmark made Dallas that good as well. Like, I don't think it was just Boston. Oh yeah. Sorry. My bad. (laughs) Um, My bad. Um, but I think Olmark added to what made them so great. I don't think it was just the the 18 or 19 skaters that were so good. And then Olmark just happened to be the beneficiary. He made a ton of saves. I mean, even in the games that we watched when the Kings played him, like the, the saves he made against us were, um, you know, night and day, where it was just either he's in the perfect place or stopping two or three shots that you're not supposed to. Um, continually throughout the year. I mean, obviously we know that these guys aren't playing 70 games anymore, but to play 49 games and win 40 of them, I think that's uh, something that you have to 
to uh, award. So, you know, a 189 goals against and a 938 save percentage. Um, well, I, again, you know, Sorokin isn't a quote-unquote bad pick, in my opinion, because he's been phenomenal. I just think there's one guy that was better this year. It's rare that I will look at these conversations and stop at the first number I look at. Mm -hmm. This was one of those cases where I looked at 938 and 1.89, like Jack just said, and I went, Mm -hmm. okay, good enough. Like, that's same thing with Carlson and McDavid, where you just go, like, all right. Can't argue it. Yeah. I just said a different, I think, and it's a different, it's a solid argument. It's just, that's where I came down on. Um, now we get to the backup and this one will be, this will be most interesting because I think I changed the, the criteria multiple times um, but jack where did you come up with the, with the best backup best backup so whatever clause you gave us i went mm-hmm. with the uh, 30 <laughs> games max all right um so i went with anti ranta uh, okay. obviously the backup in carolina 27 games i think you have to reward a guy who went 19 3 and 3 um 9 10 save percentage 2.23 goals against outstanding numbers um, obviously, Ranta's a seasoned vet and fits right into that role of of uh, the best backup uh, in the NHL conversation. But specifically this year, I think that was the guy for me. Zach? So the obvious answer would be Jeremy Swayman mm-hmm. if he was eligible, but he does not meet the yes. fourth draft of the criteria. So mm-hmm. I'm going to go with the player we <laughs> talked about yesterday, Jesse, which is Aiden Hill. Mm-hmm. Playoff run aside, had a great year. Uh, 16, mm-hmm. 7, and 1, a 915 save percentage, a 250. Goals against average um, as, I guess, the second or third or fourth guy on the Golden Knights. Technically four. If you count Robin Leonard. Um, (laughs) So good on him. And he had a really, really nice year. And were the playoffs to count, um, and this is a made-up award, so I can count them, I think he is a very worthy recipient. Yeah. The the one pushback I was going to say, obviously, the 30 games max is the, the, the key factor that comes into to who you can choose. But yep. uh, if you went Swayman in terms of he wasn't eligible, I would rebuttal with um, uh, Philip Gustafson for the Wild. Obviously, he took over the job at the end of the year and, and led into the playoffs for the Wild. But um, I believe he was second or third in the NHL. As a, I would have said he was a backup um, behind Flower. But, you know, obviously at the end, he ended up playing a few more games than 30. Well, I went with Akira Schmidt. Yeah, Shade. I looked at him too. The yeah. reason I didn't go with Ranta and that impressive record is that I love Carolina, and I right. think they they are specifically designed to make life easier for goaltenders, specifically the backup. Um, and Aiden Hill obviously is a strong candidate, but Vegas also, to me, feels like a team – like. The stat I was obsessed with all year long for goaltenders, we noticed this with Copley, is percentage of shot blocked by teammates – And Vegas was one of – there were a couple of teams where there was no variation between their starter and their backup. Mm -hmm. And you could clearly say, aha, this team plays – you know, this team blocks a lot of shots. And Vegas was one of those teams, right? Alec Martinez, I probably – if he didn't lead the league in block shots, was very close to it. So the fact that they could cycle through five goaltenders and not have much of a variation in their results to me suggested maybe it isn't Aiden Hill (laughs) turning in this performance. Um, truth be told, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to New Jersey. Their record and their overall mm-hmm. goal differential suggests that Schmidt didn't have to give that much of a performance. But as you said, Zach, with the <laughs> information available from the playoffs, um, that was enough for me to to select Akira Schmidt. So the reason I didn't pick him and I looked mm-hmm. at him too because his numbers were really really good is that he was actually the third guy, not the backup, and oh, only fair. got to play. He played less. Yeah. No, he played but 18 games. his numbers were real good. and But he spent several stints in the minors, which Aiden Hill may have also. I don't know. I might yeah. just contradict myself. But um, I had four candidates for best rookie. Um, one goalie, one defenseman, and two forwards. So, Jack, we'll just go with you, and I'll run him down when you guys uh, I mean, I think it's a, a runaway with Maddie Beneers. That was top of my list. Since you said that, I will take... Owen Power. He was one of my, he was the defenseman um, on my four. Reasoning being that over the last 20 years, he is one of two defensemen with 35 or more points and 23 or more minutes time on ice. And I think I was just looking for something different because Beneers had a really good year. Um, but Power played a very big role um, as a rookie. So I went with him. I wouldn't even be opposed to further fragmenting the awards. <laughs> Ceremony and giving a rookie of the year for 
forward defenseman goalie. Because yeah. I had I had Schmidt and Power. Mm-hmm. Again, I just really like to care Schmidt. Right. But like Power versus Beniers, uh, I don't know. They're doing two completely different things. Like how is mm-hmm. one better than the other? And they'll both, they kind of have like, they have the all-rookie team. Yeah. And like both of those guys will clearly be right. unanimous for that team. Yeah. So I wouldn't be opposed to splitting that up. The other player I had uh, included was Wyatt Johnson. Yeah, that's a, and that's a really good – whether he wins it or not, that's a great yeah. name to just throw out there in terms of recognition because he was outstanding as a rookie. Yeah, and, you know, had fewer points than uh, Beniers and a lower plus minus, but just as many goals. And, I don't know, he's really impressive. Just played two more games for whatever that's worth. Uh, and then that brings us to most improved. And I didn't give any guidance on how you might choose this award. So I'm curious to see what thought process you guys put into it. Zach? So I had two thought processes and eventually settled with Alex Tuck. Mm-hmm. Went from a career high of 20 goals, a career high of 50 points, uh, which were several years ago, um, to over a point per game player in Buffalo, 36 goals, 79 points um, from 74 games. A guy who, like many people who would probably be in the mix for this award, just needed that change of scenery, change of role to really become the player that they can. And he had a really, really nice year. All right, Jack. I had two names. Um, I actually also went with a Buffalo player, but I went with Tage Thompson. So Thompson, 26 point jump from last year to this year, 47 goals, 47 assists, uh, obviously over a point per game with 94. Um, that would be my pick. My second runner, the runner-up who I had, which I thought also deserves noting, would be Josh Morrissey, who jumped 40 points uh, at defense for, for Winnipeg, um, putting up 76. I think it was tied for second in the NHL um, with Quinn Hughes. So um, I thought those two were the the two that I looked at in terms of just, um, you know, value offensively, I think is you know, where you kind of look at the most improved part with how important that is. Um, so I went with Tage Thompson, number one. So this is, A, it's a bit of a cheat. And B, it's another category where I looked at one number and was like, yeah, I'm done. Um, I did think of Tage Thompson. I can't remember the other two players. I, I thought of a couple players off the top of my head that yeah, had yeah. breakout years. Really quickly looked at how many points they had last year and how many points that they had this year and saw Ryan Nugent Hopkins increase by 54 points. Yeah, and after looking at about five guys, just went yeah, okay, I'm done. <laughs> Even though I don't think that Ryan Nugent Hopkins necessarily improved, uh, you know, so much so that he was two hundred percent better than he was last year. That was the that was the end result. Is it point wise he was? So I went with Ryan Nugent Hopkins. I feel like there's two ways you can take this, or I guess three. It's from nobody to somebody, mm-hmm. like kind of the Gabe Velarde right. breakout. There's the good to great, the Alex Tuck, and then there's the great to superstar, which is like the Tage Thompson. Mm-hmm. And it's like however you take the question. The other name I had was Jack Hughes, mm-hmm. who is in the Tage Thompson category from very good to superstar. Yeah, and Tage I, I looked Thompson, at him. the The reason I like I didn't go far into the Hughes one was last year he was still I think over a point per game or close to it. He just wasn't healthy, and then this year he finally got that whole season in. So it's so Tage like, Thompson, no? What wasn't Tage like seventy five? Tage year? was sixty eight points in seventy eight games. Okay, so he's, yeah. he's below. This he's year below, he's yeah. ninety four and seventy. He was massive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just uh, Hughes didn't play a full season last year, so it's like, Good did point, he improve yeah. or did he just not be healthy last year? Right. Nugent Hopkins, however, yeah, fifty four. And that's 54 insane points. Is, yeah, but I do agree. It's like, did he? improve or was it just the points i mean it's like he must have obviously i mean last year he played 63 games this year he played 82 so it's a that bit helps. of a cheat but listen the best avail the best was the best ability is availability yeah so i mean even being available for that extra 20 games is an improvement yep might not be it might not have been his fault but the last time he played 82 games in a season he scored 69 points nice in 2018-19 it's 104 points over. That's a 75 <laughs> point improvement, or uh, whatever. It's a lot. It's a lot of points. Yeah, many points. Um, anyway, I think we solved the awards, gentlemen. Congrats. Good job. Nice work, I, guys. I, 
I truly do like this. I think it's more detailed and it it brings recognition to more players opposed to just like, oh, obviously, you know, blah, mm. blah, blah is the MVP. Um, so I, I'm great job, Jesse. That's Thanks. my thing. Thank you very much. Just as a bookend for my argument for my system. <laughs> At the end of the year, when I'm watching on the rare, I don't watch the award shows as much as I used to, but when I cared more and you'd watch you know, the Academy Awards or whatever. And it would be, first of all, in the Academy Awards, the films themselves, the production companies, I don't know who gets to ultimately decide, but like they decide which category to nominate the actors in. So there'll be movies where somebody will have 23 minutes of screen time and be nominated in the lead actor or actress category. And then there'll be, an you know, somebody with 83 minutes who's nominated in a supporting role. Or then you get the woman from Titanic who was on screen for like, 40 seconds <laughs> who wins the supporting and i just thought why not you know chop them up we have best uh movie for um animated now but why not the difference between a comedy and a tragedy you know uh trying to think of the funniest movie i've ever seen in my life uh a com- just a comedy is trying to accomplish something very different mm-hmm. right so you know a fish called wanda is not trying to do the same thing as Macbeth. So why why lump them into the same category? It's the same thing as players, right? Rookie of the year. Why is Owen Power better or worse than Matty Veneers? They're doing, you know, the, Power's not going to score as many points as Veneers. Yeah. So right. Why are we? I don't know. Anyway, we solved it. Watch the NHL awards show tonight if you dare. Find out how many of these we got wrong, and uh, write your local congressman telling him to implement my system. Jack, thank you for joining me. As always, I appreciate it, and thank you. Zach, talk to you soon. And uh, not sure exactly when the next episode's out because the draft is coming up. So, again, if you're hearing this, it means no trades. But keep your peepers peeled and your... What's the folksy word for ears in that? Keep your ears pierced. Your peepers and your... Keep your ears pierced? I don't know. No, keep your ears open. I don't know. I'm not keeping my ears pierced. No. I Come on, one, duels, you one ear pierced, pierced ears. 25 years Stabbing ago. me in the ear. It does hurt. Uh, anyway, heads on to Swivel Kings fans, because stuff's going to happen. We'll talk to you soon.